Function Room 43 Potential Energy The third in a sort of trilogy about energy. In the other episodes, you might remember, we talked about where we might get it from. Is it the hydrogen molecule or the capability of storing stuff in stones? Stone batteries, remember that. This time, it's a little bit more about the maths of working out how much energy we actually need and will need in future. I talked to Hannah Daly, Professor in Sustainable Energy at University College Cork, about using mathematics to undertake the seemingly very hard, possibly impossible task of modelling an entire country's energy needs. So my name is Hannah Daly and I'm a professor in sustainable energy at University College Cork and my normal day job is both teaching and uh, doing research and leading a bunch of researchers um, who build energy models to look at the future of Ireland's energy system. So we look at whole, what we call whole systems models or sectoral models where we look at different I suppose, scenarios about how parts of Ireland's energy system evolve over the next couple of decades in response to the various big, we'll say, crises or challenges that we face. And how did you get into that? (laughs) So I studied maths, actually, maths science in UCC is my my undergraduate uh, degree. I just, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, the big wider world. Um, You know, when my grandmother asked me after I applied to the CEO, um, you know, but what will you be? I just replied, mathematician. I didn't really know what I would, what I would be ultimately. I just, I just enjoyed maths in school. And, um, you know, enjoyed my course in college, uh, but I studied abroad between my third and fourth year. I got a scholarship to the University of California and I went to this um, this uh, this campus in Santa Cruz, which was which was really uh, kind of a, it was an awakening for me. You know, they, uh, I, I got because I, I took an extra year um, for the scholarship. I got to study things like um, 19th century American poetry and um, you know Spanish and all these things that I didn't get a, get a chance to study and you know we've got very narrow focus in Irish universities. But I also took some very formative classes uh, with, with with some amazing professors. One called Blood and Oil. That was a whole survey of the geopolitical history of the oil industry, kind of right back from its roots uh, to its present day. And it was this was around the time of the Iraq War and how I suppose global geopolitics, so climate change and and power is really shaped by um, by fossil fuels and I had never really understood the role that energy plays in our society and the economy and politics and and uh, and war and all that and I was just this was the most interesting thing I'd ever come across and I had a very very um very influential professor there Alan Alan, Alan Rich Richards and those 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 courses are on YouTube um, actually so I went back and listened to them again uh, recently which was great uh, but then I, I kind of realized, I was thinking, you know, I also took another class on natural resource economics and sustainable development and learned about climate change properly for the first time. It had been kind of permeating in my mind, um, but not not really to the top of my consciousness and realized, you know, this is a really big problem, first of all. And second, I was thinking, well, you know, address it's just maths, really, isn't it? You know, I, I know better now. Um, but I was thinking, you know, about the kind of principles that we use in maths, especially at the time we did modeling and in applied maths, make a model of a system to understand how, how to change it over time and what parameters need to change um, to cut greenhouse gas emissions and, and, the, and these other factors. And I discovered that, um, that uh, at the time, a young academic in UCC, was setting up a research group on energy modeling. Um, that was Brian O'Gallagher, who's probably well known to, to a lot of people now. And I did my PhD with him on modeling transport energy policy systems. So that's how I got from 
from maths into into energy modeling. I do very I do practically no maths now. Uh, I unfortunately don't do a lot of modeling either because um, I spend a lot of my time either communicating the results of the models or kind of feeding policy insights to policymakers and and, and getting those, those those insights back into the model to kind of shape the models in a way that that's necessary. It's useful for the system, but I work with people who do the models and I sometimes sit beside them. <laughs> How does one go about modeling something as ubiquitous as how we use energy yeah. in an entire country. Like, where <laughs> where do you start? And Ireland is a small country, five, five million people, whatever, the 26 counties, maybe 25,000 square miles. Lots of coasts are, you know, we have some sea, we have some rivers, we have some sunshine, we have some wind, we have... Lots some, of cars. Lots of, <laughs> lots of cars. Uh, we burn a lot and we get some gas from places. Do you actually, when you start modeling something, do you start with the back of the envelope and say, right, what's the boundary? Where where do you even start? Uh, well, first of all, I mean, with any model, you need to start with what you, what, what question you want to ask from it. So, you know, it's like the, the best analogy that I can think of to describe these types of models. They're being, they're a bit like maps. You know, that there, any model is just simplification of some type of system. And you can slice that system in lot from lots of different dimensions. So, you know, if, if uh, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to pick a random map of a particular area, um, you know, if, if I want to, or, or, or use using different kind of maps online to kind of root finders, you know, like getting for, from A to B. Like if I want to get from here, you know, where I'm in Cork to Donegal, Okay, I'll use Google Maps now, but like in the old days, I would use a roadmap. So the roadmap is a is a simple it's a model of the road system, and it strips out all the kind of things that aren't important for that. It doesn't have like you know the the steepness of the hills or the um, bus timetables, you know. But if I wanted to do something else, like if I wanted to I don't know cycle from from here to Kerry, I, w- I would choose a different kind of map. Or if I wanted to hike up Carantool, if I was a geologist looking, uh, trying to understand rock types, I would I'd use a map of, of the local types of, of rocks. And sim- similarly with the model, you have to always start with what question are you actually trying to ask instead of just starting to put equations together. Because with an energy system, you, you know, we start with the fuels and technologies, but you could start other types of modelers start with people. Like, so what, who are the actors involved? You could, you could st- look at the, you could, basically based the model on on the companies the politicians the people um the you know the 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 companies selling things you know that those would be agent based models um you could uh you could start with the basic unit of money so e- economists build energy models but they're, they're the the thing that they that they study really is the is the cost of energy and how um demand for goods and services is uh, responding to prices and income so they don't really look at the at the physics so much they look at the at the economics um, and when we where we start from is uh, or the, the, the way I approach this from is is from the perspective of the fuel and the technologies that are converting one fuel to the other so you can think of our energy system as being like a really complex machine and people have described the global energy system as being like the most complex machine that the largest machine that people have ever built you know starting from the um, the things that extract primary energy resources from from the Earth's crust or from the atmosphere, so the wind turbines that turn the you know the wind into uh, into electricity, 
uh, that potential energy from, from, from wind into electricity or the mines that extract coal or gas or oil or the forests uh, or the crop uh, or the fields that produce wood or crops. So those are all the things that are turning the Earth's resources into um, what we call primary energy. And then that, that primary energy has to be converted into a type of fuel that we act, that we need to use. So we don't, nobody uses a lump of coal or, I don't know, I don't know even how you'd use a kilowatt hour of electricity in its raw form. Yeah, um, there's no such thing as a box of wind. There's no such thing as a box of wind, yes, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so like what, what one famous energy efficiency expert called Amory Lovins said is, you know, nobody needs a kilowatt hour or a litre of petrol. We, we want uh, cold beers and hot showers. So ultimately what we need and what the what the, this massive energy system, this machine is creating is what we call energy services. It is mobility, it is heat, it is comfort, it is, you know, lumps of steel from factories. And what, what are the models that I build try to represent is how the fuels and technologies that bring those, those raw resources right to the energy services and all the st- steps in between the energy conversion, so converting you know, coal to electricity, electricity to uh, bring it into the house and then uh, and, and, and then converting electricity in the house to whether it's a light bulb or an electric car. So we project uh, and, 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 and that actually that stage of just representing where we are right now in terms of our energy system. We, we basically use energy statistics to do that. And, and uh, we've got a most Countries have a great set of energy statistics in um, in Ireland. The Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland has energy balances, and I spend a lot of time just squinting at these spreadsheets, which just show basically these uh, you know energy supply and demand in every sector. It's very interesting to see how that's playing out over time. And then we also try to represent, let's say, the car stock. So you know what is the the stock of goods uh, of cars in this case of vehicles and trucks and so on that convert petrol, diesel, electricity to kilometers and how, how the stock might play over time, you know, as, as, as cars get retired and new cars come in, as uh, let's say new, you know, new, new electric cars come in. Or we would also have a, uh, we would have represent, represent the stock of, um, of technologies that produce electricity. So the current like the money point coal station that's factored in the model, the, all the existing wind capacity, uh, what that lifetime is. So, so what the model does, it, it it solves for future energy needs. But then we can also, the nice thing about it is that we can run experiments on this energy system because mm. I, we don't run experiments on our actual energy system. So this is where it kind of departs from, I suppose, normal engineering or, or science where you have a where you generally study these things in the lab or field and you can kind of, you can run experiments. We run these models out to, you know, for decades into the future. To, it's, it's more like doing, we're not, you know, we're in no way doing prediction, but we're yeah. kind of running thought, we're running sort of educated thought experiments okay. about how the system See, will evolve. So say in engineering, you use might you might use a small model of a wave machine or a wall and you test and then you extrapolate out and say what would happen in a giant wall or a giant building or a giant foundation. So you're using real scale data and then doing what ifs. Yeah. And what the, the type of model that I that I build is called an optimization model. And what we do is is it, it it's 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 both doing what if, but it's also uh, it, it also represents the cost of all the technologies and fuels through the system. So what it can do is actually find the least cost configuration of the investment needs that you you, you have to, to, to meet all the requirements that you've put in any particular scenario. So increasingly we're running scenarios where you know greenhouse gas emissions have to like plummet because because yeah. we know what state we're in with the climate. 
and that's just very interesting it's 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 kind of asking the model to do new things um and it 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 makes it very policy relevant so i suppose that's why i spend a lot of my time talking on you know talking about policies yeah and uh so see so you have inputs like you know do you get the sales of diesel and petrol from you know aggregated across the whole country and the number of kilowatt hours you get that from the the grid and all that kind of thing um and so then you're so do you then say what if i raise the price of a liter of petrol by this and it does that tell you then whether people will use it less because i'm wondering then you mentioned earlier you know some people some models depend on human behavior and i know you're talking about the mach- the energy machine do you put human reaction or human habit in as a as a parameter or how do you not how do you really quantify know. that not this particular kind of model that's not what the types of questions that we set up for we we, we have it set up for there are models that 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 do that do basically what you said and and SEAI run run and probably the ESRI also run run models like this they would say um, they they're they're more sort of sim- simulating the impact of policies or prices and, and, and things like that. So so they would say, what if the the price of oil goes up? How would that impact people's uh, decision to uh, retrofit their house or buy an electric car um, or even you know, travel less or, or 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 switch modes to public transport? So those models are more they're called discrete choice models, um, and and they use they they would look at the historical relationships between those basically those parameters um, and then project them into the future. Mm. Uh, what the model that I mainly run, it's called times and it's more, so it, 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 it kind of, it, it, we basically, it assumes that it takes the perspective of this kind of godlike system planner and says that, okay, it kind of ignores who, how, how the cost is distributed. So whether it's transport or, electricity taking up the cost it just figures out the whole least cost configuration of the energy system that meets the particular inputs that we okay. that we um, that we give it and and we do we do we, we can simulate things like what if we, we can constrain what we call the uptake of new technologies so we can say what if electric cars you know only grow by 20 percent a year yeah. uh, we can do those kind of what if but so we're not right, you can we're not pinning that to we're not pinning that to human behavior i know yeah but you can sort of uh, you can represent electric car backlash in a constrained uptake of of new cars. So all things being equal, people should take up new cars like they took up Discman's and iPods and what you know. There's a certain model for how people yeah. like to take up technology, assuming that there's no sentiment about it. But sometimes people are weird about stuff or get funny feelings about things and. There's the outside chance that an electric car, people get suspicious of it in the same way that nobody bought Google glasses <laughs> you know, <laughs> 10 years ago. It's unlikely, yeah. but so it's, it's there. So it must be a unique position, this, this you know, mile high view, this energy system uh, with all these inputs. Are there things that surprised you about how a country or an economy works uh, when it comes to energy that, you know, maybe that many of us would would be carrying around these assumptions about energy transport and then but the numbers when you plug them in it's not you know it's not what you think it is does that happen in your in your job uh yeah i think so and like i think what the model really does is to it disciplines our our kind of conversation about about 
these just just like those questions that you're asking, like when should we stop buying fossil fuel cars? You can work. We now have carbon budgets in Ireland. You know that we have we have basically fixed cap on how much greenhouse gas emissions we can be emitting in each sector um, over five year periods. And what we can do is work back mathematically from those carbon budgets because we know exactly how much carbon a litre of petrol or a kilowatt hour of electricity emits under different scenarios. We can work back to how much energy we can consume in different sectors. And then we can work back to like what like what is the mix of solutions to, to that is consistent with the carbon budgets. But I don't go in, you know, typically don't um, say like there is one optimal mix of solutions, but we can say that there's a very constrained set of pathways that we can meet our carbon budgets. And uh, and, and that kind of disciplining of, of the conversation, some of the insights that, that come that might debunk some of the narratives that, that are out there include um, that energy demand growth doesn't matter. So there's this idea that, you know, we'll have all green technologies by 2050, and you know electricity will be fully decarbonized and they will have lots of new technologies and so like we can con- like in in the meantime we can, we can consume as much as we want because everything will be decarbonized by 2050 um but because we're working in a carbon budget environment like all the and, and which is which is appropriate because carbon dioxide accumulates in the atmosphere so that it's not the carbon that we're emitting in 2050 that matters for climate change it's the carbon that we're emitting now so when we put those carbon budget constraints on the system, it shows the growing demand from, for example, like growing the size of cars or growing data centers or, you know, these very, or growing, I don't know, passenger, Dublin airport is very hot at, you know, the political discussion at the moment, um, that, that it definitely does matter. When we fully decarbonize, then growing demand isn't such a problem, you know, it might be for cause other knock-on effects so I suppose that is the thing that that you know that the, the core thing that I that I take from the model that, like that that there's a very constrained set of pathways to meet our carbon budgets um that it's not about waiting for new technologies to develop it's to, like about I'd say about 80 percent need to figure out the exact number but 80 percent of the emission savings that we need uh, to meet our carbon budgets they're from solutions that are already really well developed they're already scalable in the market you know bring wider benefits like energy security and clean air or they've been very well tested in other countries like district heating and heat pumps and it's just about deploying those as quickly as possible and not growing demand so quickly that that you're kind of that you're increasing you're kind of just running up a down moving escalator you know so i suppose that that's that's the main like a, in some ways, the model isn't intelligent. You know, the model isn't sort of telling us anything that we shouldn't already kind of know. But it, it's a way of of disciplining this, this, uh, this putting putting numbers just like a map. You know, I mean, I can say that the best way to get from here to Donegal is going via Dublin, uh, and you might say it's best to go via Galway. But with a map, we can actually put some numbers and have yeah. and it, it, we can put everything that we know in front of us and make make better decisions. Or at least agree where we disagree, you know, quantitatively. Coming up in part two, modelling transport. And speaking of travelling by map, in terms of transport, what what have you learned about how a country works, how it gets around? Do you get a glimpse of 
perhaps the way the country is kind of laid out wrong in the first place, that it's planned mm-hmm. wrong. And so your model is trying to optimize, you know, transport mix and transport use and fuel use. And then you look at a country which is not built with anything like that in mind. It's built with the hopes, needs, suspicions, dreams, uh, expediency of politics and what people just end up doing. You know, it's a very imperfect country. Yeah. So it's particularly in transport, you know, um, because we're sometimes we have control over our own house. Some of us do. We definitely don't have much control over how we get around in a lot of ways, apart from whether you can cycle or walk instead of driving. But in a country where it's simply not built with any kind of sustainable transport in mind up until now, what what do you yeah. find when you try and model it? Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a cliche, the, the, that, that old saying, you know, I wouldn't start from here with our transport yeah. system. I suppose where Ireland is a bit different, like, is is that, you know, we you can frame our housing crisis as maybe an opportunity that, you know, we still actually have to build lots of our, our housing system. And so even though we have this big dispersed settlement pattern that, that locks a lot of people into car ownership, plan is to do much more dense settlement. And that's not just growing cities like Dublin and Cork. It's also, you know, having this village first approach. So like my, my like when, when, when I moved back to Ireland and came to buying a house and everything, my, my ideal would have been to, to you know, build a, or buy a house at the edge of a village that had, you know, a regular bus route, but it's just that option just isn't there. Um, but I think there's still a big opportunity to, to, to build that going forward. But going back to like what what I learned about the transport system, other than the fact that that the dispersed settlement patterns are a big are a big problem um, for for becoming more sustainable, I went back recently and read my PhD thesis, um, which was based on predicting not not predicting projecting different scenarios for Irish um, transport energy and CO two emissions. And um, and just again, these weren't predictions, but I was right. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we're, we're you know I, I ran all these different scenarios about you know about the uptake of of of, of, diff- of different uh, policies, um, and that was in 2012, I suppose, just after the last um, economic crisis, and, um, uh, and and you know there was there was basically very little investment in in sustainable transport uh, since then you know we're pretty we're catching up now on electric vehicles but and very slow to catch up on public transport but basically you know, some of the insights that came from that were that um growing vehicle size and more travel were offsetting any efficiency gains that we were getting from like motors were getting more efficient um but all that like that wasn't being fed into lowering fuel demand it was being fed into larger cars driving longer distances, peeping, people living far, further away. Um, and, um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was sad to say I read the conclusions chapter and a lot of that could basically could, could, could be said, the exact same could be said today. And something like uh, larger cars, is that a natural evolution or is that just weird? Because I remember a time when everybody was talking about aerodynamics, like, yeah. you know, uh, sleek and yeah. uh, um, not, I mean, we're not talking about a smoother drive because obviously that's taken care of with suspension. But the whole point of cars was that they were aerodynamic and you didn't want a boxy one. You know, like was the Toyota Carina 2 the high point of car design? And, and, the, new, and the new cars now, they've got the aerodynamic. I mean, they, 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 they weigh the same as a hippo and they've got the aerodynamics of a fridge, basically. 
Yeah. So how how does something like that happen? Because that's um that's you know you don't, when you're optimizing your energy modeling, that feels like a curveball. Pardon yeah. the pardon the pun, but like what what happens with stuff like that? Is that just human sentiment? Human like capitalism, greed? What uh, what makes yeah. cars bigger, or is it car seat car seats for children defining the you know legitimately wanting to make people safe but we're all in an arms race of safety so now we're all fighting each other with giant cars how does how does one model that (laughs) with great difficulty i suppose uh, is the answer because like people people don't behave rationally especially when it comes to cars even in their own self-interest but 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 cars and transport is really one of these things where if everyone is just optimizing for their own self-interest and there's no kind of planner saying, OK, if, if we just do things a bit differently, everybody changes their behavior a bit, then then it's better for everyone. This kind of global optimum versus this sort of small. And we've been stuck in this what you might call local op- optimum that everyone is just solving for their own for their own sort of lifestyle and their own uh, benefit and we've lacked that policy to sort of to make everything to make everything better um so yeah i mean you 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 talked about this arms race and you know that that's one thing and again bigger and boxier that other cars are on the road the less safe you feel um the less safe it feels for kids to be cycling to school or walking to school Therefore, the more likely you are to drive your kids to school and then buy a big boxy car yourself to make them feel um, safe. So if everybody is just making themselves feel safe by getting bigger and safer and, and this, you know, what they what they feel safe in a higher seating position, um, it's it's just it's it's there's no there's no way out of that except for policy to say, yeah. actually, I'm going to reallocate some of the road space to safe cycling infrastructure. I'm going to put more taxes or do some more advertising to show how these big cars are, are, have a lot of, um, you know, they, they do a lot of damage, not just for energy and climate, but they, you know, they cause um, greater damage when you're in a collision with them. They have poor, um, you know, they, you can't see people in front of you. These, you've got these pictures of, of kids kind of crouched under bonnets and you can fit lots of them in um, from these, these big Jeeps or SUVs. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, so I, I would say that we, we're, we're kind of we're still going on that path. We're still, like cars are still getting heavier and bigger. Um, they're getting more electric, uh, which is a good thing. Um, but but like we haven't bit the bullet and started saying, okay, we're going to actually remove a lot of the parking from our towns and cities so that it gives people space back, so they don't need cars in the first place. Sticking with people, while they may sometimes act like what's rational selfishly uh, for their own self protection. We do act uh, rationally when it comes to energy sometimes, you know. Uh, now, I still see people with the car engine running outside school in the, the country with the most uh, <laughs> comfortable climate everywhere. So I'm not sure why you need an engine running, but leaving that aside. But we do make our, coming back to energy, we do make calculations all the time with energy and we're getting more energy aware. What... Um, for the individual, as somebody who has the, the mile high view of energy in general, and this isn't like a list of energy saving tips, but is there a different way the individual can think about energy that helps them kind of navigate this very complicated um, landscape? Because we hear so much about energy and the energy mm, saving this. Sustainability and carbon and, and all that. Yeah. And like, yeah. 
in in but is but sometimes like I'll give you an example. Um, say in in water, right? Uh, leaving aside whether we should pay for water or not, our sense of whether we waste water is often driven by how wet it is outside, right? Um, you know, you you may be more conscious of wasting water when it's when it's very sunny and hot. Yeah. But water, but water isn't actually just about water. Like Irish water is Ireland's one of Ireland's biggest energy consumers because all that water has to be pumped. And I never thought about that before until somebody mm-hmm. told me they're one of Ireland's biggest consumers of energy. So that's one example of where I'm like, oh, water is energy. Okay, it's come. I remember a politician got slated on the news one night for saying, you know, water doesn't just fall out of the sky, you know, and all these smart arses, you know, laughing at him. But actually, he had a point, maybe for the wrong reasons. Like, it's there's so much energy goes into getting into your tap. But now I think about wasting water in terms of energy. It's easier to waste less water in a wet day than it used to be. I'm wondering, is there other ways in which energy, it's so ever-present and so ubiquitous that we don't think about it? Have, have, have you come across, based on looking at it from so, from across a whole country, Anything yeah, that makes aware. us more energy aware. I teach sort of introduction to energy type classes to, to undergraduates. There's two things that I want them to come away with. First of all, it's the carbon dioxide is cumulative in the atmosphere because that really changes everything that we have to do about climate change. But leaving that aside, it is that energy is not just electricity. Only about 20% of the final energy that we use is electricity. And right, But right now, that's that's what I can see. I can see the light. I can see, you know, me using this laptop. I know that I'm charging my phone and, and all that. People think of energy as being electricity, so they would consciously turn off lights if they want to preserve energy. 80% of the energy we use is for heat and for transport. And and we kind of we we ignore the kind of the 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 fuel bill, like let's say if we fill up the oil, you know, maybe once a year, or if we fill up the, the car with, with petrol or diesel uh, every couple of weeks, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of don't see that as energy. I, I, I think we're just blind to those forms of energy. So, you know, um, I suppose for people who want to be more sustainable, it is really the heat and the transport that they have to think about. And I suppose a nice heuristic is that it's fossil fuels are the problem. It's not like turning things off. It is systems that are based on fossil fuels have to be switched to electricity as quickly as possible. So that means electrifying transport um, or else trying to go without a car. That's much more difficult for a lot of people. Uh, and then getting the oil and gas and coal out of out of heating um, uh, as quickly as possible as well. Do you have a favorite thing that's happened in the last while uh, in terms of energy, be it a device, an invention, a philosophy that is like that? You know, I'm so grateful that that's happened uh, in terms of the the world. Is there something that really? You know, maybe it's just a wind turbine, but you know, what, what, <laughs> what's what's the thing that an unsung hero of energy transition? I'm going to be a real cliche now, or else I'm, I'm going to going to offend all the other sustainable energy technologies. But like solar panels, you know, they're they are cheaper. It they're a cheaper way of producing electricity in most parts of the world than coal, and you can put them on your roof. Uh, you know, it's 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 they're they're an ama- they're 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 a mass produced product and uh, you know they're basically the same module that you that you see out in fields like in bigger solar farms it's the same thing on your roof little cells like that can be can be used to make electricity um, you know the, people say that 
they take carbon to, to build, but like the, that's paid back in in a you know less than a year. You know, I get why physicists are excited about nuclear energy. This really kind of complex machine that produces you know that uses really interesting physics to produce electricity. I get that, but they take decades to build. You know, you can go down to a shop and buy a couple of solar panels right now. And um, and they can do everything from charge your car to heat your home, um, maybe not all, all year round, charge an e-bike. I know in Ireland, wind energy is the main going to be the main solution, but I, I just can't, can't can't help but loving uh, solar panels, especially because they're, they're benefiting from that giant nuclear fusion reactor in the sky, which is yeah. the sun. All those free exajoules we get every day. And what are you uh, working on over the next few years or where do you think, where do you see yourself in five years time? (laughs) Where do I see myself in five years time? Right now we're we're trying to figure out which, I suppose, what would, what would look like realistic or feasible yet very ambitious carbon budgets be like in Ireland for the 2030s. So right now we've got, we've fixed carbon budgets for until 2030. So now we're looking at the period 2030 to 2040 and like what if we overshoot our current carbon budgets can we make that up the answer is with great difficulty uh, it looks like i suppose trying to help the policy system to to get the to identify where those barriers are to deploying the solutions that we already have and just trying to motivate people to remove those barriers and to you know and and, and to make things happen but like in terms of where i see the world in 10 years time Aside from from energy models, you know, I, I can see two very different visions of how the world evolves. Like one, the kind of the fairy tale version. I suppose society starts to be mobilized around clean energy. They realize that we're in this this clean energy revolution. We can link it to the big climate damages that are happening. You know, we've the last year uh, breached one point five degrees, and it's causing loads of damage. And it's going to those damages are going to continue to accumulate until we really get fossil fuels con- completely off the system. So in this kind of nice vision of the world, people get behind politics, gets behind, you know, we stop scrapping about bike lanes and, and wind turbines and um, along the coast. And, you know, the um, we get cars mainly out of cities, um, kids walking to school, electric buses, you know, going around the countryside, picking kids and old people up and bringing them where they want to be and generally being more connected, cleaner air, um, so we've got a kind of fully electrified system that we're far more energy secure because we're not importing loads of energy. Our, our bills are are basically steady and uh, and lower because we're not reliant on, on importing fossil fuels. But I can also see the risk of, you know, and while that's a vision that I you know really want to work towards, I can also see a vision where we, we become more fragmented and disruptive and this continues to become more divisive. And you can really see that globally, that the climate becomes this sort of culture war rather than this big human endeavor that we're all trying to solve together so i can see whereas we're we're, we're inevitably on this this sort of path of electrification and, and, and renewables which is great you know it, it still is possible that that as climate impacts start causing more disruption a lot of the political effort will be mainly in, in kind of cleaning those up and we won't be able to kind of collectively come together to i suppose make sure that the solutions are fair so people get angry at green politics and green policies uh, you can see that happening you know there's a lot of resentment or blame on things like the carbon tax and we we might still be allowing vested interests to dictate solutions um, so we made bad choices you know going down dead ends um, that ends up kind of embedding more fossil fuels um, i'm thinking things like airport expansion um, some forms of biofuel which i think we should be really looking at a lot more carefully 
So there's okay. the sort of what's probably likely to happen is a mix of both of those things. Yeah. You know, it'll be we'll have a lovely green transition, and in some ways it will be disruptive and divisive, and yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting decade. Let's <laughs> okay, something to look forward to one way or another with trepidation and excitement as well too. Uh, Hannah Daly, thank you so much for coming into the function room. Delighted to be here. Thank you. That's the function room for this week. Thanks very much once again to Hannah Daly there and hope you all enjoyed it and a special hello to any new listeners who might have come into the function room after hearing me rabbiting on about maths on the David McWilliams podcast. So uh, really happy to welcome you all. Hopefully you'll stick around and there's 42 other episodes you might want to listen to as well across all various areas of maths. Love to hear your comments, feedback. If you're really clever about a particular area of maths and you'd like to talk and you have a voice and you can use it, uh, please get in touch. I'm at hello at colinoregan.com or you can find me on Twitter at colinoregan or on LinkedIn or blue sky if there's three of you there wherever you want anyway do listen in do like share rate the whole lot with the podcasts wherever you get your podcasts thanks very much until next time bye bye